Hey everyone, and welcome to the Salt Lake Board of Realtors podcast. This podcast is designed to provide you with some interesting insight on things you need to know to make yourself a better and more successful realtor. In this episode, our expert panel sits down with Johnny Stewart. He's the director of the Utah Division of Real Estate. They discuss when a complaint should be directed to the Board of Realtors and when it should go to the Division of Real Estate. Welcome, everybody. This is Scott Robbins, your 2019 Salt Lake Board President. Hello, I'm Johnny Stewart. I'm the director for the Division of Real Estate. I'm Joel Hare, a realtor with Ulrich Realtors and the chair of the Professional Standards Committee. I'm Alicia Holdaway with Summit Sotheby's, and I am your 2020 Board President. We wanted to start this conversation with just getting... Maybe, maybe John, if you just start off with a description of the division, what it is your, your role is there, and, and then we'll kind of jump into some topics. So the Division of Real Estate, we are tasked um, with regulating the real estate appraisal and mortgage industries, um, and we also license uh, all those industries as well. So we have, we're getting up to around 30,000 total licensees, which is the most we've ever had. 30,000. Yes. Across mortgage, appraisal. Across all three. So with wow. real with real estate, we're about 25,000. Um, so we are responsible for licensing all these uh, as well as enforcing the law. Okay. That's awesome. Um, that's amazing to me, 30,000 licensees with everything. That's incredible. So um, and Joel here is uh, the chair of our professional standards and – I think, Joel, maybe given your quick synopsis, what does that mean? What does that, what does that role mean? Well, the professional standards is uh, members of the board of realtors, the Salt Lake Board, and we hear the cases that come through. Um, if a client, if a customer, a, a realtor versus realtor have a complaint, it goes to the grievance committee. Uh, the grievance committee will, will review the case, see if there's any any violation that appears to have happened if it does it will be passed on to the professional standards committee where we actually hold a hearing where the the respondent um, could be there as well as a complainant and they can have witnesses and and state their case and we can as a panel um, hear the case read documents ask questions and and rule if we feel there's an, a code of ethics violation um, here at the awesome. board and that's both for realtor versus realtor and yes. the members of the public as well. Absolutely. Anyone wants to complain, a lot of, we see both. We see agents kind of battling it out, some arbitration commission disputes. We also see um, a client who might not be happy with their realtor and feel that something's in violation. And it's our job to determine if, if there is an ethics violation or if it's just they don't like each other and uh, have a little squabble. And, and how often do you see... Uh, when someone does file a complaint, that it really is these guys just don't like each other. There's no real ethics violation. I mean, do you see? I mean, do you, would you say? Oh, that happens for sure. Sometimes there's just an agent wasn't nice. There was a bad email, some a bad interaction, right. and, and the person gets rubbed the wrong way, and they want to have their voice heard and, and complain. Um, oftentimes, there really is some meat to it where the the agent did step out of bounds and they they did violate the code of ethics and so um it's good to hear both sides and, and analyze and see if it really if there yeah, really is a violation yeah yeah um and i i would say that the key thing and we'll bring johnny in here a minute with with your situation joel is if it's a violation of the code of ethics mm -hmm. um just so you know there's is it 17 or 18 
17. 17 articles. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was close. <laughs> I was close. Um, so, Johnny, with that being said, when should someone make a complaint to the Salt Lake Board of Realtors Grievance Committee compared to just going right to the division? Like, give me some high, give me some examples of when they should. So that's an interesting question because it, it does come up quite often. We get complaints filed with us where we'll take an initial look at the complaint and we, we can immediately say this is probably an ethics violation, not a violation of Utah law. There are times when there's overlap. So there are ethic violations that are also violations of, of state law and there are, are violations of state law that wouldn't be considered an ethical violation. So I think the first step is to, I mean, We'll look at anything, so I don't want people to be hesitant to contact us. If you're unsure about whether you should file a complaint, you can pick up the phone and call the division. We also have a chat feature on our website. Uh, you can email us, and we're happy to respond to your questions. If you give us a brief synopsis of what, what you're seeing, uh, is this something the division would look at, would investigate? We can pretty quickly identify, yes, this is something we can look at, we'll investigate it, or you know, on the surface, it doesn't really look like it's going to be a violation of, of Utah law, and we will then refer people to the Salt Lake Board. And, Johnny, if I were to call the, the division or use a chat feature or email the division, how quickly can I expect a response? So typically, uh, the chat feature is, is pretty instant. quick. I mean, unless everybody who's using the instant chat feature is busy with other people, it's pretty quick. Um, I mean, email, we try to get back to people within... 24 hours. Uh, it just depends on how many emails we're receiving or if people are out of town. And phone calls are the same thing. So our receptionist will transfer you to the appropriate party if you describe it. If it's a real estate complaint versus mortgage or appraisal, they'll transfer you to one of those investigators. Uh, and people are, are pretty available and willing to, to talk. Yeah. I've heard good things about the chat thing. That's fairly new, right? So we added the chat thing. It's actually one of the first things um, we did when I started with the division back in 2000. It was probably late 2011 early 2012 that we started that and it's slowly I mean, okay I think so not are, fairly new but pretty cool but i think a lot of people <coughs> i mean we regularly get chats and it's about licensing questions it's about enforcement questions so people can ask any any question the thing i love about the fact that you have those three <coughs> options and that you just said i mean realistically a 24-hour response at worst is i think the the faults nowhere out there is that uh, why bother this is going to be an you know it, it'll take me forever to even get a response so no. I think that's really yeah positive. and we hear that as well I mean when we go out and speak to people uh, to speak to groups people will approach me and and one of the common responses that we get from people is I don't want to take the time to file a complaint I don't think anything will happen um, I mean the investigations do take time I mean depending on the violation I mean there's a recent case that I can't talk specifically about, but, I mean, it took literally years because of the type of violation and the amount of documents that, and the number of people we had to interview, and then you have to identify, okay, which violations can we actually prove before we actually bring a case. So depending on the type of case, it could take a few weeks to investigate. It could take years, and people need to understand that. We've trained our investigators. They should be... Um, reaching out to the people who file the complaints. We've asked them to do that at, at the very least quarterly, if not monthly. So they should make initial contact with the person who filed the complaint so they know this is the investigator who's handling the case. 
and give them their contact information so that they can reach out and then give them periodic updates so that they know the case is still being looked at. It hasn't been been forgotten. forgotten. Yeah. And you guys have recently increased the number of investigators as well to help with that load. Correct. Sweet. So how many investigators are currently – you've got 30,000 people to police, regulate, regulate, (laughs) monitor. We currently just increased to eight full-time real estate investigators, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the most we've ever had um, dealing with – and we have just over 500 open cases. So we still have a lot of cases. We're – working with our investigators to move those as quickly as possible. I mean, it's a balancing act between being thorough in what we investigate as well as being efficient. And we just had a meeting this last week with our assistant AGs, and I talked to my investigators about an investigator needs to identify when they stop digging. I mean, there is a, a point in time when, I mean, you have to say, okay, either there is something or there's not. And even if there is something to the case, there are some cases you could just keep investigating and investigating and investigating, and then that's just wasting resources, resources when, yeah. when we have other cases that need to be looked at as well. So, Johnny, what would you say? Give, me, give us some highlights of, like, top three issues or complaints you're hearing. I mean, what, what, is, it, what is it based around? I mean, so I brought a list of – it's actually more than three. Okay. <laughs> you got to know when to stop yeah. going yeah. deeper. Yeah. But I'll, the one I'll talk about first, I think, and this is one where it comes up often. So advertising has always been an issue. Uh, and when I was invited to come and speak uh, on this podcast, the premise was how to help licensees not get in trouble. Love it. So I look at advertising, and although advertising complaints are down, I feel like when we revised the advertising rules and removed the size requirement, that has helped people stay in compliance. And I feel like we have we do receive fewer complaints, but it's still the top thing people complain about. And, and when you say com- people complain about, is that fellow realtors or is that the public or is it half and half? Or so with advertising, it is almost always competitors. Okay. And so that's something, one thing that all licensees should keep in mind is that it's your peers that are looking at your advertisements and saying, that's out of compliance, I'm going to turn you in. And just to give you maybe a little insight into what we deal with, there was a time when we took action against a real estate agent for advertising, and their response was, well, if you're going to get me for this, then I'm going to go out and find 20 other people who have an advertising violation and turn them in. So I think one thing that I've noticed with advertising, I think people ask the wrong question when they're looking at how do I follow the law. So I get questions all the time about advertising, and the common question that I receive is, does this advertisement fit the one-click-away rule or the Mm -hmm. exception? And I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think the question to ask is, can I include my brokerage name? If I can't, then the exception comes into play because the rule says if it's unreasonable to include the brokerage name, then the one-click-away rule applies. But people are, it's almost like they're looking for ways to use the one-click-away rule rather than how can I... Avoid having to go there. Yes. So it's there as a protection if it's unreasonable, but there are very few times when I look at something and I say you could have easily stuck your brokerage name right there. So the one-click rule basically says if it's unreasonable for you to include your brokerage name, then you have to have a link 
to another website or source where your brokerage name is located. So one thing that we've actually done and allowed real estate agents and brokers to do where we're not enforcing the law exactly the way it's written is on a personal Facebook page. If somebody has a personal Facebook page, we have basically said, okay, you don't have to have your brokerage name on your personal Facebook page. And if you periodically put a listing on your Facebook page for friends and family, hey, take a look at this property, then the one-click-away rule would, would apply. We don't require you to have your brokerage name on your Facebook page. But if we see a personal Facebook page that is clearly not a personal Facebook page, it's really just property after property after property. There are no vacation pictures. There's no family, pictures of family or whatever. Then we're going to view that as a professional Facebook page, and we would then require the brokerage name. So the one-click-away rule does give some flexibility under certain circumstances, but that shouldn't be the default or the thing you're looking for. It should be the opposite. That's it for this episode. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and help spread the word. If there's a topic you're interested in, hey, let us know. You can hit us up on Twitter at SL Realtors or on Facebook at facebook.com slash SL Realtors.